Today, we're asking, is Brexit actually the least of our worries? There's the French and the German elections coming up. And terrorism remains a constant threat. We don't know what's around the corner. Um, and I think there's a lot going on in Europe. There's obviously a lot going on, on across the pond. It was a question posed at a rural briefing held by Savills this week. We'll try and find the answer on the programme later. Also, we'll ask, how are our young farmers feeling in these uncertain times? Brexit is the big byword at the minute, and there's every opportunity out there. Sunday, November 13th, 2016. This is The Farming Programme with Sean Dunderdale. Good morning. Another week, another series of discussions over Brexit. Fresh from last week's East of England Farming Conference, highlights still available online on our podcast. This week, Stoke Rochford Hall was the venue for a rural briefing entitled Life After Brexit. Savills, Wilkin Chapman and Bruin Dolphin all came together to organise the briefing on Thursday. One interesting comment, though, which we touched on at the start there, was a question to the audience put by Catherine Harris. She's Head of Agriculture at Wilkin Chapman. She said... Is Brexit the least of our worries? So I asked her what she thinks. Is it? I think that when you're negotiating with someone, you try and find out what their position is. I don't know what Europe's position is. There's a huge amount of uncertainty out there. There's the French and the German elections coming up. Terrorism remains a constant threat. So I was just posing the question there, really, is... Will Brexit ever happen? Will other countries exit? Will it all implode, explode? I, I, I just raised the question. Absolutely, and it, it is uncertain times, isn't it? I guess you're coming across that with the people you're working with. It, it is uncertain times, um, particularly for farmers. Um, you know, the subsidy payments are keeping a lot of farmers um, above the red line. And they're so important. And these changes... Um, just really mean that farmers need to examine what they're doing now and try and Brexit-proof their business. It is. You know, if, if Article 50 is uh, enacted early next year, we've got two years of negotiations. I guess that is two years of an opportunity, as you say, to try and Brexit-proof your, your, your industry, really, your farm, isn't it? It, it is. And, and you'd hope in that two-year period we'd get some detail um, because I don't know about you but I get fed up of hearing or we we don't know it's full of uncertainties Um, but do you know I think there's a whole lot of uncertainty still around the corner for us unfortunately you know we always try to be proactive and not reactive but in these circumstances I think there'll be a lot of announcements on short notice Um, so I think diversification for farmers is key um, and they've got to really examine their farming business as it is now. Is it fit for purpose or is it time to change? Catherine Harris, Head of Agriculture at Wilkin Chapman. Ian Bailey is Head of Agricultural Research at Savills. He was at that rural briefing as well. So what is life after Brexit actually going to look like? I think there's opportunities. Um, there will be winners and losers, but we uh, uh, it's difficult to know exactly what is going to happen. Um, but there will be changes and there will be some restructuring. Um, but I think there are opportunities and, and we need to make the most of those. Part of your presentation today was looking at subsidies. You think we might be able to survive without subsidies? I think it might be difficult, um, but I think there will be some businesses and if we can diversify, there will be opportunities. Um, but we do need to understand the risks to our businesses. 
and you're obviously looking at research, you've been looking at what have happened in other countries. Interesting, some of the facts you had about New Zealand and some of the other countries where subsidies did end, you know, they did actually thrive, didn't they? They did thrive and they've, they've got a very um, efficient business now and, and a very successful business. Um, so there's no reason why we can't do the same. But we are different. I accept that we are different. Our landscape is different. Um, our population density is different and we are a different country. Um, so there will, will need to be some support for environmental and some of the public goods. Um, but that will be an income stream that we, we can tap into. What do you find is the, the feeling at the moment in agriculture? Um, I think it's quite diverse, really. I think I think there is there are people positive. There's a lot of people talking about it. Um, we're holding quite a lot of dinners and debates, um, talking to our clients uh, and to our contacts. And I, I think people are very prepared to to look at it and to, to think what alternative things we could do. And you're also talking, of course, with George Eustace, among among others yes. as well. What are the feeling you're getting back from? from him because you know agriculture is very low down isn't it in in the grander scheme of things when we come to talking about article 50 and talking about whatever deal we'll get from Europe. Um, Yes I totally agree with that Uh, I think the key message that we're getting is that forget direct support direct support especially from dual juices doesn't appear to come in his vocabulary very often um, but he does talk about some of the other issues uh, uh, public goods um, and um, grants for investment and those type of things which will support the industry. You touched on land values as well have we peaked price-wise, do you think? Um, no, I think that will keep going up. I think we've peaked from where we were before. I think we're going to have a period now of fairly flat values um, on average. I don't think we'll see a crash in land values like we've seen with the residential um, and some of the commercial property. Um, but I think yeah, thereafter they will go up, but probably not at the rates we did before. And as you also touched on, it's, it's diverse, isn't it? You know, one farm could go for astronomical price, another farm might not even sell over, just over the road. That's right, and that is the market at the moment. It is very diverse. And uh, it all, it's all to do with the bidders, the number of bidders, the number of uh, people bidding on in, in an individual farm. And if you've got a neighbour that's really interested and has been trying to buy it for several generations, then that farm could make a lot more money than one further down the road. And is there any, any sign that could change? Not at the moment. I think at the moment... Um, I think if commodity prices went up and the cement sentiment came back in, but I think at the moment people are seeing it as um, a market where if they, if they want it, they'll, they'll go for it. Um, but it, I think at the moment we're going to see pressure with commodity prices where they are. And that's going to be a bigger effect than the Brexit effect. An interesting question earlier was, is Brexit the least of our problems? I mean, we've got obviously the election, particularly in France, uh, and Donald Trump this week. I agree. Um, we don't know what's around the corner. Um, and I think there's a lot going on in Europe. There's obviously a lot going on, on across the pond. Um, we should just have to wait and see. But we have to, we're in this environment. We have to understand our businesses and we have to look for the opportunities and mitigate the risk. Do you think there is a fear of further uncertainty with President Trump? Uh, definitely. Um, definitely, I think there is. Um, but we'll have to see how that pans out and uh, use the information we've got, look at the scenarios, do a sensitivity analysis on our businesses and uh, try and be prepared. That's uh, Ian Bailey, Head of Agriculture at Savills, part of that rural briefing on Thursday. Be prepared was his message for a President Trump. It'll be here in the new year. Uh, right, let's uh, find out what's happening uh, in the world of grain, shall we? Chris Spratt joins us for a second week. He's the man in the know from uh, Open Field once again. Hello, Chris. Good morning, Sean. This morning. is a pleasant surprise. Well, there you go. You know, uh, good things come along uh, <laughs> very rarely, but uh, twice in one week. In, have you good things to tell us, though? That's the question. Well, I think taking into account all the events of, of the week, really, the markets remained 
at fairly similar levels, just uh, dackering down towards the end of the week as currencies firmed. Um, wheat volumes, well, they did slow, have slowed down throughout the week to a degree. New crop still remains of interest to growers, uh, basically because I think no one knows the answers where we're going to see things next year. The French could be back to a normal quality and quantity as far as their wheat's concerned, and that could put a different slant on overall pricing structure. Likewise, um, you know, where will the value of sterling be? So I think to a certain extent, the, um, there's, there's still an element of insurance risk-off against the cost of production on new crop um, for you know for, for, for growers to continue to sort of market a bit of grain in those positions. All seed rate, well, again, really feeling the effects of firm um, sterling. Um, you know, sterling finished 115, 116 against the euro towards the end of the week. The USDA report that came out on Wednesday that increased their U.S. soya yields, resulting in bigger end of uh, end of season stock. So again, not particularly bullish for rapeseed at the moment, even though we have got a tight domestic market. The USDA report also wrong-footed the trade estimates uh, on, on corn. Uh, they increased the corn yield there. Uh, their expectations, their forecast in the U.S. raised from 380. Uh, sorry, two 387 million tonnes, uh, up about 4.5 million tonnes from the average trade estimate. And overall, that gives us an increased world ending stocks of 1.38 million tonnes at 218 million tonnes of world stocks of corn. Wheat largely unchanged, the global stocks up marginally to 249 million tonnes. Also midweek, the DEFRA Anderson's Early Bird Survey details were announced. They forecast a small reduction in the wheat area, but the main changes are in spring barley, unsurprisingly. A 17% increase forecast there. That's obviously yet to be planted, um, but that's mainly at the expense of winter barley, which is 9% down, which performed poorly this year, really. Spring barley also gives growers more of a time to control the blackgrass, cheaper to grow, and forward prices still look relatively attractive. Uh, but like I say, that, that uh, crop has still got to go in the ground. The all-seed rape area, well, not surprisingly, again, that's forecast to fall by a further 4% year-on-year. As far as prices are concerned, December feed wheat 136 to 137, with May 17 at 138 to 140 x farm, uh, with Group 1 premium still struggling at 7 to £10. New crop, uh, November 17, 133 to 135 for feed wheat, uh, and then on feed barley, December 16, 117 to 118, with May 17, 119 to 120. Spring barley still hanging in there quite well, 144, 145x farm for the turn of the year. And new crop feed barley for November 17, 113 to 115. Again, with feed barley premiums, quite useful really, 144 to 145x farm for November. All seed rape, as we've said, struggled a little bit on the week, mainly due to currency, with November at 338 to 340, with May 17 at 342 to 343. New crop, uh, 313 to 315 for harvest, and November 320 to 323. But on, on the new crop, really precious little trade taking place. So there you go, Sean. That's uh, that's it for this week. Uh, managed to get through without mentioning the president-elect once. I oh, know. I was going to say that's very good. That's very good. It is in certain times, though, isn't it? You know, with yeah. president-elect mentioned early in the program, elections in France and Germany next year. Absolutely, uh, it, it could it could be an, another uncertain year it, ahead after it, the year it, we've had. Yeah, and I think that's why growers certainly over the past sort of couple of months have been looking as much at the new crop per situation and trying to just put a line in the sand as far as some prices are concerned as much as the, as the old crop really. Mm. Well, I'm sure you'll keep us in touch, whatever happens. Indeed. Thank you, Chris Pratt, Open Field. We'll hear from the Vice Chairman of the Young Farmers in a moment. First, our weekly agronomy update. 
from Sean Sparling. Yeah, morning, Sean. More weather to talk about. We had a bit of weather again this week. First bit of proper frost. We were down to minus three uh, Monday night into Tuesday. Another sniff of it on Tuesday night. A little bit of snow in Yorkshire, I think. Um, it was never going to get right down here to Lincolnshire, and even if it did, it was going to be gone by lunchtime. It's that time of year we are in approaching the middle of November, so I think we probably have to expect a little bit of frost and snow every now and then, and uh, it's not really something that should make the headlines, is it? Uh, we do get winter every now and then, one year in three. Um, but it has complicated things again on farms. We're trying to get fungicides on all seed rate. The FOMA levels have increased to threshold level. One plant in five on the resistant varieties or on the forward crops. One plant in ten, of course, on the more backward pieces that were planted later. That threshold has been widely achieved across the county. Um, so you need to get something on with FOMA activity. You could ask the question, is there any need to put anything on for light leaf spot? You could argue this time of year, probably not. Um, but it's a braver man than me that puts a fungicide on that doesn't have at least some activity against light leaf spot. The cheapest route would be diphenoconazole or plover, that sort of thing. A, a good, uh, robust route would be prothioconazole. The very, very, very expensive route would be up there with the refinzars. So pick your point in the middle, work out what your rape's worth, work out uh, how much disease you have in the field and which disease that is, uh, and choose your weapon accordingly. And also, if you've got these little patches in fields which are showing up a bit stunted, they've gone back backwards might well be worth just having a walk in pull them up and see if there are any swellings on the roots because we are seeing more and more club root every year there is sadly very little you can do about it in fact there's nothing you can do about it in the growing crop resistant varieties are about your only route on this but it's worth mapping it for future years and making sure that when you combine you don't transmit it from field to field by keeping your machinery clean um Aphid levels remain relatively low. We are finding the odd cabbage stem flea beetle larvae, as I said last week, in the stem. And there's a little bit of rape winter stem weevil dotted about at the moment. So I do think, however, it is still too uh, warm to be putting propizomide on. We need plenty of moisture, which I think it's fair to say we've probably got in these fields. Um, but just remember that one of the restrictions we're going to get is on things like propizomide, where they're turning up in water. So you certainly don't want to be putting it on in mild conditions on wetland, because if that gets in the water, we're going to lose it sooner than we want to lose it. Um, but it is too mild. You want 8 degrees and falling at 30 centimetres or 10 degrees and falling at sort of 10, 15 centimetres. And it's all over the place at the moment. Don't compromise it. Get 100% by waiting. You've, you're in no hurry. So go January if you need to. You've got until the end of January. Winter cereals, they've been drilled at a pace. There's still stuff after root crops, late drillings, bad seed beds, black grass fields, still those to do. The crops that are already up and through the ground, um, volunteer beans, volunteer rape, tend to shrug off some of the grass weed materials, but anything with fluoragulam or DFF in it, that should deal with volunteer beans quite nicely. Um, and these late drill fields, don't take it that your agronomist has held you back, therefore it's his fault you haven't got drilled because it's now come wet. Um, think of it in terms of your agronomist has held you back, therefore you are not in a mess full of black grass. Take it as what it is. Um, it is what it is. We can't govern the weather much as many of us would like to think we can. Put it in with something in the spring and cut your losses. That's the way to do the job. Winter beans still going in the ground quite nicely now. Um, but do remember, if you've got winter beans going in, for goodness sake, get your pre-em on as soon as you can possibly get it on. That's the only time that they're going to work. Apart from that, a um, bit more weather to come next week, I dare say. Uh, there's always weather. <laughs> we'll have the forecast for the week ahead soon. Thank you. Sean Sparling, Sparling Agronomy Services. On to potatoes then. Colin Jackson's on the line from PJP. Morning, Sean. Um, yeah, we're, um, 
we're a bit trumpy in the uh, potato trade at the moment as well as politically so um things are uh, things are going leaps and bounds upwards at the moment well that's uh, that's that, that's good to hear um i mean what qualities are they looking good yeah quality is pretty good um what we've seen is um a lot of people sort of hedging their bets they're um they're they're actually thinking that the market is going to go up. Um, so they've been reducing supplies a bit, and that's been a self-fulfilling prophecy because of due to a lack of supply, the market has gone shorter and prices have gone up. So uh, it's been less to do with a quality issue and more to do with a shortage of supply um, that, has, that has forced the prices up. Um, whether it's right or wrong will remain to be seen in the spring um, to see whether or not there's a lot of potatoes left around in the spring um, to be marketed and then you know it may come back down again but I think most people do feel that um, uh, you know there, there certainly isn't an oversupply situation in potatoes um, the uh, and, and the job should maintain good um, you know from here on in carrying th- you know forward through into the spring and uh, early part of the uh, of the summer and what about the weather at the moment? How's that affecting things? Um, not making a massive difference. Ninety-five um, percent, probably even more than that, of the crop is now out of the ground. Um, so there's just the last few sort of moppings up of bits and pieces to come into store. Um, but nearly everything is in store now. Um, consumption does go up slightly, you know, as the weather um, gets colder. Um, but in general terms. We're not going to be really weather affected now. Um, most of the crop came out in pretty good condition. Some of the southeast corner, a bit further down, it was very dry in harvesting. So there's a few bits of bruising issue around. Um, but certainly the crop in Lincolnshire has come out in, in good order um, and, uh, and is storing well. And, and you mentioned there about you know supply. What about prices themselves? How are they looking? Yeah, well, prices um, in general terms now, most things have got a two on the front. So uh, that's all good. I mean, even one or two things with a three, but certainly good, um, good quality white potatoes in, in papers, you know, starting really from about £200. Um, good packing quality material, um, sort of 230 £240. Um, frying quality gear, also sort of that sort of... 230 240 uh, kind of level for good quality gear so um it's uh, it's all a good pounder bag more than it was um probably only two two weeks ago um so it's it's gone up by in the region of about um, 40 to 50 pounds a ton you mentioned him at the start of course we're, we're all familiar with the king edward what about the president trump potato could that be a variety <laughs> I don't think we've got a variety of that just yet, but uh, you never know. You never know. I'm sure someone will come out with it. <laughs> you could be right. Beyond Dragon's Den before we know. Thank you, Colin Jackson from Jackson Potatoes. Last week, the National Federation of Young Farmers met with the Farming Minister, George Eustace, to talk through the findings of their recent members' survey, looking at the challenges facing young farmers at the moment. Lindsay Martin is the National Vice Chairman of the NFYFC. So, what were the findings? You could look at it as challenging or you could look at it as an opportunity. Um, Brexit is the big byword at the minute and there's every opportunity out there. Uh, we as NFYFC went to um, meet with George Eustace yesterday to talk about the um, results from our recent survey, which are available to anybody if you want to go and, go and find them out. And they're very interesting, actually. Um, a lot of our members want more help with bi- help training aimed at business acumen. 
and um, legal and finance, which is not something that traditionally has been asked for before. Um, but I think it's really positive because they're identifying their weaknesses and trying to do something about it. Um, but in terms of actual opportunities to get into agriculture, I think the sky's the limit at the minute. Um, that's why we're out there trying to push um, young farmers' agenda forward, as we always are. Um, but to make sure that we end up with a system that is also helpful for new entrants as well as helpful for sustaining agriculture. So you mentioned you, know, you, mentioned you met uh, George Eustace. Is government listening, do you think? I think government is listening as much as they ever listen, which you can't really tell until something comes out later on. Um, but it was a really positive meeting. Um, everybody in the room seemed to be taking in what uh, the information from our survey, and there was some great um, conversation around the survey, which for me is really positive. Absolutely. What else came from the survey itself, then? Um, oh, the survey so was many. such a <laughs> such a wide one. Um, but I'm re- I'm so glad that it's um, taken as really positive from our members and an opportunity to get their voices out there. Um, it's important to be positive, isn't it? We hear so oh, much about uncertain times and farming in turmoil, and oh, yeah. you know, we hear that over and over again. But it's good that there is that positivity there. You've got to be positive, really, haven't you? Oh, definitely. I think positivity is actually one of the best things that young farmers have on their side if you go to someone with problems and negatives they're not going to listen to you if you go to them and are positive about what you want to do what you want to achieve and what you need their help or if you need their help how they can help you out they're going to be a lot more inclined to help you than if you go go up to moping and whining about what's wrong in the world it just it doesn't work. And, and right across the country, the clubs are thriving? Yes, yes. We're, um, we just had a really successful National Young Farmers Week as well, back in September. Um, again, we're building on that year on year, which is great. Um, so we're looking, always looking for new members. So if anybody's listening who wants to go out and find a Young Farmers Club, um, you can go for via our NFYFC website or even ring the office or there'll be details out there for your local county office in Lincolnshire or, or wherever you're listening from um, and get involved. We're, we are a really friendly bunch. You don't have to be a farmer to be a young farmer. Um, get involved. There is so much opportunity there for anybody in the rural community to get stuck in with young farmers and grow as a person um, and that's what we're really great at at Young Farmers is encouragement of people to develop skills and providing opportunity for people to grow. It is important isn't it? It's it's a social occasion, we know that from the weekends in Blackpool and and, and elsewhere but but also it's good to network and to share ideas and to see if you have got a particular issue that you're not alone, especially at a young age or younger age. It's great being at a young farmers club when you turn up finding especially for me when I was younger was finding a group of people that were interested in the same sort of things I was interested in and weren't from um, necessarily from an urban background who didn't my friends from school didn't quite get the same problems that I had Um, being from towns they had all of the transport they needed they could go anywhere at a drop of a hat whereas me with a bus at the end of my road a mile down the end of my road that went four times a day was not 
they didn't understand, they didn't get it. But going to Young Farmers, I found a bunch of people who were willing to listen, who had the same sort of problems and were really interested in me and where I was going because I always wanted to be involved with agriculture, um, which, again, not all my friends from school got. So it's a really, really positive place to be um, and a great opportunity to go there. The skills I've got through Young Farmers are ridiculous absolutely amazing and enthusiasm is infectious um and it's got me quite a long way we can hear the passion we can hear the enthusiasm (laughs) thanks for talking to us on the program thank you very much lindsay martin of the nfyfc definitely feeling positive that passion is shining through i'm sure you'll agree the farming program five-day forecast I'll be honest with you, I'm I'm not so passionate or enthusiastic about the weather yesterday, but uh, today is looking a bit uh, better, certainly drier, some sunny spells for a time. Patchy clouds, we're looking at highs of 7 or 8 Celsius, and the wind from the north-northwest, 10, gusting up 15, maybe 20 miles an hour first thing this morning. Overnight tonight, patchy cloud temperatures down to around 4 Celsius, should stay dry. The wind from the west-southwest at about 5 miles an hour. Possibility of an early shower first thing tomorrow, but a mostly dry day ahead. Highs again around 9 Celsius, and the wind from the south-southwest at about 8 miles an hour, maybe gusting to 15 miles an hour in the afternoon. Overnight, Monday into Tuesday, we are looking at another band of rain sweeping right across the area, I'm afraid. Could be uh, particularly heavy, especially uh, Tuesday itself. Overnight, we're looking at lows of about 6 or 7 Celsius with that uh, cloud cover, keeping temperatures up a bit. And also the wind blowing from the south-southwest at 10, gusting at 20 miles an hour. As I say, on Tuesday itself, then some particularly heavy rain, particularly in the uh, the middle of the day. Highs, a bit warmer because of that uh, southwesterly wind, 15 miles an hour, gusting at 25, temperatures at 12 Celsius. Tuesday into Wednesday could be uh, quite a misty and uh, murky start to the night. Once the rain has passed over, it should clear, should particularly be drier after midnight. Lows of around 6 Celsius and the wind more from the west, 8, gusting at uh, 20, 25 miles an hour for a time. And then Wednesday, starting off sunny, cloud increasing again through the day, a bit warmer again, 9 Celsius the high, and the wind from the west-southwest, 10, gusting at 20 miles an hour. And then the latter end of the week, it does look like another band of heavy rain will sweep across uh, the area. Could just miss us, we'll keep a check on that as we get later on in the week. Highs generally of 9 or 10 Celsius, and your overnight lows, fairly mild actually towards the uh, latter end of the week, could be 7 or 8 Celsius overnight. So that's the forecast and another week in the world of agriculture. Next week, we're discussing partnership agreements and why ignoring them could prove costly and could split your family. Now, today, of course, is Remembrance Sunday. And I think it's important we uh, never forget those in agriculture who were among the many who gave their lives in conflict, especially in both world wars. Our thoughts with them today, as always. We're back then next Sunday. Until then. Have a good week's farming.